Hello and welcome to the Channel V6 Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Johnson. The Channel V6 Podcast will cover all the unique and diverse topics that matter most to you, the Uinta Basin resident. Subscribe to listen to in-depth conversations about the local issues that affect us all. On today's show, we have Michael McKee with the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition and Reed Page, Rocky Mountain Energy Economist. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about Jiffy's. At Jiffy's, they know how hard it is to stay home and not to have anything to keep you busy. They want to help. They are running sales until the end of May. Need to find a new hobby or spruce up your ukulele skills? Now through May 22nd, ukuleles and music books are 20% off. Maybe you just want to veg out and watch some TV or a good movie. May 22nd through the 29th, TVs are 25% off and DVDs are 10 for $10. Don't forget about their handgun clearance shelf, savings like you wouldn't believe. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Let's work together to get past this time of uncertainty. They thank you all of who have kept them in business over the years. They wouldn't be where they are and what they are without you. Thank you. Jiffy's where they buy, sell, trade, and loan. So um, we've got Michael McKee um, in, in studio. Mike, welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself and kind of tell us who you are and what you're representing? Yes, thank you, Brandon. <clears throat> it's great to be here. Um, I'm the executive director of the Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. I think a lot of people are familiar with that, but it's a coalition of counties, uh, Daggett, Uinta, Duchesne, Carbon, Emory, San Juan, and Sevier counties. And, uh, you know, the coalition was put together to help advance uh, like-minded projects where we're able to do some things that probably would never happen if we hadn't organized to be able to help uh, economic development and to help our communities. It's awesome. Thank you so much for coming to the show. It's going to be a great topic. Also, we've got a uh, Reed Page, Rocky Mountain Energy Economist. Reed, can you introduce yourself, please? Yeah. Hi, Brandon. Thanks for having me on. Mike, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a Basin native. I grew up in Neola. Uh, I live now out in the city on Lehigh, um, kind of in the mix of uh, Silicon Slopes. And um, I've been uh, spent the better part of the last six years as a physical natural gas commodity trader um, in a regional trade shop downtown Salt Lake City uh, with Summit Energy, um, dealing with uh, with uh, with natural gas producers throughout the Rockies um, and down to the San Juan, down Four Corners area, um, and uh, and marketing physical commodity all over the uh, all over the Rockies, but primarily right here in the Wasatch Front. Um, and uh, for the last five years, I've also run the Rocky Mountain Energy Economist Facebook page. Um, and it all started uh, in the winter of 2014 and 15, in the during the last crash, um, the last time that uh, the OPEC decided to open up the floodgates and crush our prices over here in the United States. Um, and there was a lot of uncertainty then, and so I started the page so I could try and answer some of the questions that were. Uh, being asked by so many of my friends and family back home in the basin. Um, and so I've sort of just kept that going and now uh, we need it again. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of uncertainty. And so I've been here trying to help people understand what's going on uh, and what they can do, maybe how to plan um, and what to brace for sometimes. So, so you're, uh, you're not just, be here. you're not just a city slicker. You're, you're a basin boy and we're glad to have you on the show. In fact, so much, you have a sponsor. Your dad is sponsoring the show because you're on it. And that's, that's really cool. Um, Rocky mountain energy economist is sponsored by Dr. Gregory page of basin family dentistry in Roosevelt. Dr. Page has been providing for the dental health needs of the UNA basin since 1984. 
He is a veteran of the U.S. Army Dental Corps and served in operations beyond the horizon, enduring freedom and Iraqi freedom. I want to thank him for his service. Dr. Page's objective is to provide the finest in dental health care with the focus on each individual patient. He is a preferred provider with many insurance companies and accepts most dental health care insurance plans. If you are looking for the best in personalized dental health care from cosmetic dentistry to implants, do not hesitate to call Dr. Gregory Page at 722-2111 in Roosevelt. Yep, that's... uh... That's Dr. Page. That's my dad. He did my veneers. So <laughs> they looking good. They are looking yeah. good. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so you know the the kind of the whole point of this episode was to kind of talk about the economy. The, you know the base in economy. It's it's pretty much wrecked right now. It's a scary place to be. A lot of people are uncertain what's going on. I mean, we have aside from the oil and gas industry crashing, we had the whole COVID-19 scare that's still upon us. And a lot of businesses, a lot of families, a lot of people are hurting right now. We kind of just wanted to talk about, talk about it all. Like how, you know, what, what is there to talk about? What can we do? What's coming, what's going to happen? What is happening behind the scenes that we don't see? And so that was kind of the point of today's podcast. Um, I want to start off by asking the question, which I don't want to talk a lot about COVID-19 because we've done a lot that a lot about it, but is there a direct correlation between oil plummeting and COVID-19? I guess. There is. <clears throat> it's not just COVID-19, but obviously as people are not traveling, as planes are not flying, uh, we begin to get a glut of oil. The more, you know, it's very much price and demand and uh, Reed will talk about that uh, a lot, but there is a, a, there is a complete correlation Obviously, the Saudis and, and the Russians and some things that happened there affect those oil prices as well. But um, COVID-19 definitely has an impact on it. Reed? Um, yeah, you know, COVID-19 is, the, is definitely the demand driver in the equation. Um, it's the demand shock. But there was, as Mike said, there's the supply shock. You know, there's um, Saudi Arabia and Russia um, and their tacit agreement to, to hold production back and therefore prices up sort of fell apart just a few months ago. Um, I, I think it's maybe it's debatable whether or not Russia and Saudi Arabia's agreement would have fallen apart if, if this COVID-19 thing hadn't happened. I think that they would have continued at their, their quotas that they had set for the, for the group um, until the next sort of decision session later this year. I think that things probably would have held steady in that sort of $45 to $55 price range. And so I think that the, I th- what I think is that, that Russia took advantage of, or thought they were going to try and take advantage of this opportunity sort of to, uh, to play hardball with both Saudi Arabia, with the rest of OPEC, and then obviously watch uh, U.S. oil producers just fall apart as collateral damage. Um, so yeah, COVID-19, I, I think is, is really the catalyst to absolutely everything that happened both on the demand side, but also even on the supply side. So for our listeners that maybe don't understand OPEC and how it operates, can you do like a reader's digest version of kind of OPEC and how it all works and operates with the oil and gas industry? Yeah. The organization of petroleum exporting countries, uh, it's a, in economic terms, it's, it's called, it's considered a cartel, is an oil cartel or a group of producers. And these are nationalized oil companies and national oil production companies um, where the government itself essentially owns all production. 
Um, and there's a lot of them. They represent a significant piece of global oil production. Um, I don't know the, the percentage off the top of my head, but um, they're mostly relatively small, but they're sort of led de facto by Saudi Arabia, who is the biggest player in the cartel. Every, every cartel uh, group like that needs to have one enforcer. This is generally the case, whether it's you know a black market drug cartel or something like this, an international oil and gas cartel. There needs to be an enforcer um, that gets to kind of shake the chain if some of the smaller players are not playing ball, are not keeping to their quotas. Um, and so they all sort of, they get together, they represent a large portion of, of global production and together they can set quotas for themselves and pull back production and raise global prices or they can open up and they they can raise the quotas so they're all producing more and therefore push supply over the top of, of demand and, and push prices down. So their collective action can actually drive market prices, global market price for crude oil up or down, sort of depending on what their organizational goals are. Um, that's what OPEC does, and they've been doing it since uh, really since 1973. So a, a week or two ago when oil was in the negatives, how, how did that happen? Like, can you walk us through, like, I didn't even know oil could go below zero. Like, that was weird to me. Uh-huh. That's super um, complicated, <laughs> uh, but again, the, the Reader's Digest is when we're talking about oil price, the, the oil price that everyone talks about is actually a futures contract. It's a futures price. It's uh, you own a contract um, for crude oil that will be delivered at some future point and at a specific location. The futures that we're talking about here, the U.S. Uh, oil price benchmark is at Cushing, Oklahoma. And it's the West Texas Intermediate uh, futures contract deliverable at Cushing, Oklahoma. And there's a large pipeline complex and storage complex there. And so if you're holding one of these contracts, it's for a thousand barrels. If you own one contract, it's a thousand barrels deliverable at Cushing uh, during a specific contract month. What we saw on, uh, what was it, Monday? It was a few weeks ago. I think it was the 21st. or the 20th, it was, it was the second to last day of that contract trading session uh, or trading window. Um, those futures can only trade up to a certain point before they expire and then trading ceases. And whoever's kind of holding the hot potato is stuck with it and has to take receipt of that, of those barrels during the delivery month. What I think, uh, what, what happened, and, and there's lots of other places to see this. I posted a lot about it in the last couple of weeks on my Facebook page. Um, and so there's a lot more detail there, but uh, it looks like there were quite a few traders or, or groups who owned the contracts, but had literally no physical way of receiving those barrels. And they were stuck again, holding the hot potato and trying to figure out who they could toss it to. <laughs> and there may, may have been like nine or 10 of these guys holding these and none of them were buying. They were all sellers, and when there's only sellers and no buyers, all of a sudden the price is going to go falling through the floor. And they, it would have cost them more for some of these guys who sold at a negative price. It would have cost them more to try and take delivery than it would have to pay someone to take the contracts off their hand. And so that's why uh, I think why we saw negative pricing for that one day. It rebounded the next day and ended in the positive when the contract actually expired. Um, everyone's big question is, are we going to see negative pricing again this month? Um, my hunch is, I personally don't think that we will. I think that all those suckers are out of the market now. 
And um, it's very clear now that the storage is that at least the, the more readily accessible, the more practical storage uh, is gone, is pretty much gone. And so um, I don't think people are going to be playing that, uh, that game of chicken sort of with the market this month. We'll see probably uh, towards the, the 20th, 21st, when the new June contract gets ready to roll off, we'll, we'll be paying attention. So pay close attention um, around the 20th, 21st. I'll obviously be posting about it, but uh, it can happen. Apparently it's never happened before, but now, <laughs> now it has. We've seen negative prices on natural gas in certain regions of the country, in, mostly in West Texas. And now we've seen negative prices on crude. So it's a whole new world. Speaking of natural gas, I guess, um, with the oil prices taking a dive um, and not rebounding to what they were, is there any future for natural gas in our area? You know, like, is that a, you know, what I'm trying to say is like, oil is kind of in the dumps right now. Is there, is natural gas going to see a, a, a spike? Are we going to see any more kind of economic easiness or, you know, a lifting because of natural gas? Um, actually we already have oh. just in the last few weeks, uh, the, the U S benchmark for natural gas has gone up 30 cents. Um, which doesn't sound that big when we're talking $7 and $12 moves in crude oil, but where natural gas trades has been trading between two and $3 for the last few years, 30 cents is huge uh, on a percentage basis. Um, it's, it was up something like 18% in the last few weeks. And a lot of that has it has everything to do with crude oil um, falling. You have a lot of mass shut-ins all over the place, especially in West Texas in the Permian, um, which is gas that we in the Rockies actually compete with for Southern California markets. And so when that when they start shutting in the crude oil, the associated gas starts getting shut in as well, and the the whole supply demand dynamic starts to tighten up for natural gas, and our product our production starts gaining value. Um, at a time when usually it's falling because it's spring um, and heating demand has gone down. So uh, we, we've definitely seen an improvement there. It turns into a sort of a natural hedge there for us in the Uinta Basin between Duchesne County producing a lot of crude, Uinta County producing a lot of gas. Well, crude's not doing so well and natural gas is seeing a little bit of a lift. So that's nice. I guess you could call that a silver lining. Um, it's not going to be substantial enough, I think, to replace obviously the revenues lost on the crude side. It's just It's just such a it's been such a, such a huge deal and such a massive imbalance when it comes to revenue sort of coming into the county, um, tax revenue, severance, taxes, um, royalty payments. Um, but natural gas uh, I, I is going to get a, a temporary lift further out into the future. It's got a, a slight lift. And um, if you looked at the futures curve, just going way, way out into the future, it has a kind of a, an upward trend. And so natural gas, uh, you know, it's, it's got a slight upper trend, upper trend. I don't, it's, it's not real. It's not going to replace what we're, we have lost recently in the short term, um, with crude oil, but, uh, but it's doing better. It's doing well. That's so that's nice. A positive outlook, a silver lining, I guess a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think that we're going to see a lot of drilling for it still. Um, probably not. Those prices still are, are pretty low. And, uh, I don't think a lot of the, uh, the, uh, producers are going to be real excited about bringing rigs back on just to drill for gas, even at that, even at these prices, it's just still so low that it's, it's not real interesting. Um, our, our natural gas production in the basin has fallen quite a bit, uh, in the last six years. Um, I think 20, 30%, I can't remember, uh, the, the newest geological survey, uh, Utah geological geologic survey, um, report just came out, uh, this 
last Monday, just a couple days ago, um, or, or yesterday, I guess today's Tuesday. And uh, it talks a lot about, so that's, that's really interesting to see. But um, so no, I, I think that we're going to still see some decline in our natural gas production, but what we are producing now in natural gas um, is seeing a little bit of an improvement in price. So Mike, you it's not to nothing. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just going to say um, there really hasn't been hardly any drilling for natural gas in the UNA basin for several years. And yet about two thirds of the natural gas in the state has come out of the UNA basin. So uh, prices need to need to come up a bit before uh, we're really going to see drilling for natural gas. Speaking of prices, what what does the price per barrel on oil need to be at to be beneficial to the basin to bring work back to the basin roughly? Well, I'll weigh in and then uh, uh, Reed he'll uh, he'll tell us what's <laughs> really got to be because he's traded for you know I mean he's yeah. he's a trader but uh, you know the discussions I've had with with different people through the years. Uh, I, you know, I think most of them to get very excited to drill has been, you know, at least 40 to $50 a barrel. Reed. Um, this is a tough question because you, you, you can't usually just ask a producer what their lifting cost is. Um, it's sort of kind of kept close to the, to the vest. Um, but it becomes obvious and it bears out when you see price swings and you see when rigs start going up and when rigs start going down. Um, un unfortunately, some of our, our last few have moved so fast that it is hard to tell uh, specifically at what price level everyone started stacking out the rigs. Um, but like Mike said, you got to be in the in the 40s and and long term stable in the 40s, not just 40 for a couple months. Um, you've got to have a, a sense of some long term price stability as a producer. And you want to you want to see it probably in the 40s before we see some of these um, these rigs coming back. If, if you're a producer and you've hedged out, you know, a significant portion of your production, I don't know how many have, um, then you may have certain obligations that kind of keep you drilling because you've been able to sell forward at a, a great price, you know, in the 40s or 50s, even while everybody else is now having to sell on the spot market at you know 15. Um, so, but I, I think. To keep our production stable, and you'll see just a few rigs out there um, trying to just keep up with the decline, the natural decline curves on our fields. You probably need to be in the in the mid 30s is probably where you want to be um, for for production to be relatively stable. And that's not growth. That's not big economic growth, but it's sort of a, st a stable long term price. Um, but to see sustained long term growth, uh, definitely you need to be hitting the 40s. Um, if not upper 40s, uh, for producers to be excited in the long term. So for a lot of our viewers and listeners, you know, the, the oil and gas industry is, our, is their livelihood, is our livelihood, and, and they know a lot of this. But for, you know, for those of us that didn't grow up in the oil and gas industry that maybe don't know, does it cost more in this part of the country to retrieve it and to, to process it in, in comparison to other parts of the country, say like Texas or, or North Dakota or these other parts that you seem to seem to boom first prior to the basin, they pick up faster. And then it seems like the basin gets hit first when it starts to bust, like we're the last to the game almost and the, and the first out when it's boom or bust. Um, Mike, uh, well, uh, <laughs> you, you know, uh, you know, uh, I'll give a crack at it. Um, I've been in various meetings with, uh, with, uh, oil producers, with, uh, conferences 
And um, they've shown the Uinta Basin compared to other basins. And, um, you know, the capital leaves here earlier and comes back later than, than many of the other basins. And there's a host of reasons uh, that they show for that happening. Uh, they have a, you know, there's a discount on the oil as it goes to the refineries uh, here compared to other areas. Um, the cost may be a little more. They may have to go a little deeper. Um, but, uh, again, Reed's the expert here because he trades it. So <laughs> I love having both of you on. This is awesome. I mean, the, I've got some more questions that are going to be more geared for you, Mike. But um, take a stab at it, Reed. Yeah, uh, it's he's right. Um <clears throat> And disclaimer, I've never traded crude oil. Um, <laughs> I had a close friend uh, in the office with me who was the crude marketer, and uh, we still text each I, other. I've been in uh, his offices, <laughs> or his, his former offices, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so the Uinta Basin has been considered a marginal, sort of a marginal basin because of our higher uh, cost of production. And and our sort of lower net back, our lower return on investment, because like Mike said, it's uh, we have certain logistical issues in, in getting our very unique product to market because of the black wax. And so there's a combination of factors. But in the end, it's just it's just it's a slightly less profitable. Uh, the returns aren't as aren't seen as positively as they are in a big play like the Bakken or like the DJ or the Permian, you know, Delaware, um, and what of West, West Texas and Southeastern New Mexico. So as soon as things, you know, as soon as that price starts falling, that hits our break-even price first before it hits other break-even prices in other basins. And so rigs stack out here first, um, rigs start going up here last when, as that price kind of starts recovering and starts working its way back up into the forties and fifties. Um, and so being a marginal basin makes it a little tough. We, uh, we're sort of the canary in the coal mine and it's, it's really tough. It makes sense. I mean, I've just, you know, I didn't grow up in the oil and gas industry, so I just, I don't know these things like a lot of other people do, but Mike, how does the basin, if even possible, become not so dependent on oil and gas? Like how do we, how can we diversify our, our economy? Well, it's always valuable if we can, if we can attempt to diversify our economy I think that's been a long goal that we've had here in the basin is to, to be able to diversify our economy. Uh, but we shouldn't be running from the oil and gas industry either because it is very much a stable. And uh, in economics, everybody will tell you to take the resources that you have and uh, you know, build on those resources as we, as we think about economic development. Um, but obviously, you know, we're living in a different day and age. Technology is important. I think education is, is absolute key. Um, for us to be able to diversify, we need to have really good educations. Um, I think there's all kinds of things we can do in the technology world with the internet. Uh, there's a world out there that we can do a lot to diversify our economy in. And I think we need to continue to build on that. But I don't think we need to, uh, we are in a, in a, I believe, a temporary condition right now. I know uh, a lot of people are looking at it that way. I don't believe this is permanent. But we do get these ups and downs that we just have to deal with here in the basin. Um, you know, I, later you'll probably talk about the railroad, but I yeah. believe that's one of those aspects that can help to to level that out a bit. 
if you don't mind, let's jump into the railroad. Like we've heard, you know, the railroads coming to our area for, I'd say decades since I've moved here, we've all, I've kind of always heard that in the background, but what's the reality of that? Is it, is it something that's really being in the works? Is it something that's just kind of a, the Bigfoot kind of myth that we hear and like to put us to sleep at night and make us feel comfortable that it's coming and going to help our economy? Or is it something that's really going on? It's, it's definitely in the works. Um, so since you've asked me, uh, you might have to shut me down here. So, <laughs> so, so I get a little bit passionate about that, but, um, let her rip. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of an environmental um, impact study. Mm. Um, that began through the surface transportation board. They will be the lead agency. We're doing the environmental work for this railroad to happen. So just to the viewers and listeners, let me just mention what will be necessary for the railroad to succeed. It has to be permitted. It has to be permitted through the federal government. Uh, you know, we are going to be crossing many different land types, uh, forest service, uh, certainly tribal lands, uh, uh, settler lands, uh, state institution trust lands, private lands, um, you know, host of different uh, landowners and, and the private lands. And so... Um, this will go through an environmental impact study. A lot of times, a lot of times those can take years. Um, we are on a fast track. We're moving this forward really nicely. We're we're a year into it, uh, close to a year into it as far as the actual EIS. All goes well. We're hoping late this year, early next year, that we have a certificate to construct the rail. We have a private partner, uh, Drexel Hamilton, Rio Grande Pacific. And it's anticipated that they will, they will fund the railroad, and um, we have a, a, an MOU with them. And uh, as we move forward with this, um, one of the things that's got to happen, though, is even though they're excited to do this, um, you've, we've got to have prices better than they are today. Hmm. Um, but they haven't walked from the project. Um, they they tell us we're still in. We believe, Mark Michelle from Drexel Hamilton. He will tell you he believes this is a temporary condition. I don't think anybody believes the oil is going to stay at twenty dollars a barrel. That's just uh, that's not realistic. Yes, it's at twenty four today. Great. It actually <laughs> up, uh, twenty about twenty percent in just today. So uh, uh, temporary. Things are improving. I think a few days ago I mentioned that uh, I was looking at the futures curve and it looked pretty pessimistic and. I was more optimistic than the curve was. Well, the curve is now moving up. It's becoming as optimistic as I am. So, um, uh, but for, like you said, Mike, they do need to see those prices, but uh, they need to see those prices sort of be, to being in that good place, be starting uh, after the potential uh, sort of commissioning date of the railroad, which would be, you know, a couple of years out. And a couple of years out, I'm looking at prices right now. A couple of years out is uh, we're looking at $36, $37 trading right now. And, and I think there's still a lot more optimism left. There's, there's still some room to move up. And so I think we'll be back in the forties, honestly, by the time the railroad is uh, potentially uh, finished so, ready to start moving. Back. Yeah. So, so with that, uh, they are um, Drexel, Hamilton, Rio Grande Pacific. Um, this has not, this has not put a damper on the railroad. I mean, it has a damper, but it hasn't, it hasn't caused them to say, we're not going to build the railroad. Uh, they still believe in it. They're still moving forward. They're putting money into it. And so our anticipation is, you know, as I mentioned, the two aspects is that we will, we will get the permitting done. Uh, we hope to have a certificate to construct by the end of this year, early next year. Uh, 
And as we get that, uh, you know, they will be working on the, you know, the finalization of everything they need, need to do with contracts, those kind of things. It's anticipated it'll take about two years to, to actually build the rail. And is it going to serve only the oil and gas industry or other, you know, um, how else, I guess, will it be used to benefit the local economy aside from the oil and gas industry? Or is it going to be used mainly for oil and gas? It, it's a common carrier rail. So <laughs> anything that anybody wants to ship will be available. Though the majority of product uh, likely will be um, oil and frac sand and tubular products. And, um, you know, if there's other project, uh, products that need to be shipped, they will probably be attached to what they call manifest trains and, and some things that way to be able to move whatever products uh, that's valuable for our area. So I guess uh, financially speaking, what could that potentially do for the basin in regards to kind of lessening our dependence on oil and gas, our dependency on that? Well, see, to me, that's one of the real values is, is we... The oil and gas may be the, the nucleus that brings the railroad in here. But as we have the railroad come in here, um, I can tell you that there's groups and entities visiting with the private side that says, oh, is there going to be rail coming in here? We have interest. We have, we have products. We have business. We have uh, uh, commerce that we want to do on rail. And those discussions are going on. Um, you know, they're... They're still pretty private, but those are discussions that are going on with the private enterprise. I think that just answers a lot of, you know, people's questions or doubts. I know a lot of people like, ah, oh, you know, the railroad's a myth. It's been talked about forever and it's just to help us sleep good at night. And I, I'm glad to know that it's, it's actually, you know, becoming to fruition. It's coming to fruition and it's, it's actually going on behind the scenes. That's awesome to know. Well, I, I can tell you discussions. I mean, that's what I spend a lot of my time doing, but we have a complete, we have complete teams that are working on this every day in, in bringing this forward. So this isn't just some sidebar kind of thing that's going on. There's a tremendous amount of work going on every day. And I, I, I want to give a plug to our, our elected officials because I really appreciate, because I really appreciate what they're doing. Our commissioners from Uinta and Duchesne counties, they have been outstanding. And also uh, up in Daggett County and Carbon County, our surrounding areas, our, our political leaders, anywhere from our governor to speaker of the, the House, president of the Senate, our, our elected officials from the Senate and the House, uh, it has been strong uh, all the way through, and, and we appreciate it. Reed, do you have something to say? Yeah. You know, from an economic diversification um, standpoint, I guess just returning to that, um, there is, a, you know, a lot of people say, uh, you know, the railroad's not going to carry anything but oil. Um, it's going to make us even worse off because we'll, we'll be even more tied to just oil. And um, I guess if, if we look at this from a, from a long-term perspective, and we should, we have to, um, what this could reasonably do for our oil production in the basin, it could double, even triple our production. If, we, if it did that, then it would significantly concentrate us from a revenue, from an overall sort of exported value perspective. We'd be far less diversified until, right? Until lots of other uh, businesses start making use of the rail. Um, but, but just because we're moving so much more value out of the basin in the form of oil, um, it doesn't damage the other industries that are currently there. And 
as time goes by, say 10, 15, 20 years, then we really start to see the presence of the rail payoff for other industries in a big, big way. I actually think that we're going to see, and before, I was a, a skeptic actually too, <laughs> that other industries would be making in the you know early on. And then the more I learned, the more I dug in and had these discussions, I, I became more of a believer because I'm myself, I'm really looking into some opportunities, um, uh, some other areas and the way, ways that the rail can, can reasonably be used um, very quickly after, uh, you know, within the first few years of operation. And I, I like some of the agricultural opportunities um, there that we're kicking around. Um, and I think that if we didn't have the rail at all, um, then we're back to square one. And none of those future non-oil opportunities would be able to make it into the basin either um, in any real appreciable way. So I think uh, we should embrace the, the fact that early on, the, the, we're sure we're going to concentrate heavily. I really think that we can see a doubling and a tripling of our production. Um, but, but we're going to see some real adoption of the rail. Um, it's called induced demand. You know, the asset is there. And now uh, other, other businesses, other industries are going to be able to make use of it, be able to make use of the amazing labor force that we have in the Una Basin. And that's going to end up becoming one of our biggest exports, I think, in the form of, of value-added services. We bring in a product. We add value to it through manufacturing, welding, um, interesting construction, and then we send it back out. And that's how you export uh, UNA Basin labor um, while keeping the labor force in the basin. And we're not just talking about everyone moving to Texas Yeah, you know, when oil boot, uh, busts. It's... It's the labor is still there, but now we're able to export the sort of the fruits of our labors. So when it comes to economic diversification, it really comes down to exports. We need to, uh, as time goes by, we need to export more stuff, add more value from the basin and export that value. And uh, I really think that the rail can facilitate that. I think it's going to be extremely beneficial in the long run. We will see more economic diversification than we otherwise would have. Awesome. I just got to say, Brandon, one of the one of the challenges we have in the Una Basin, compared to other areas, most areas do have rail. And why is it that we don't have rail in the basin? It's because of our geography. You know, if you look at you know the Una Basin with the mountains all the way around it, as you build rail, you need to stay within about a two two and a half percent slope. And so, when rail was put it put in the country throughout the country, you know everybody just went around the Una Basin. And so we're at a competitive disadvantage because product in, product out. And then even today, we still do not even have a freeway into the UNA Basin. And so costs of services in and out of the basin, you know, when we talk about everything that's got to be transported costs more money. And so when we put rail in here, then we put us at a competitive even keel to where we can compete with other areas. And, and being involved in economic development for the years that I've been involved in, um, as businesses come into the area, one of the things that they'll look at um, is rail in the area. And if rail is not in the area, a lot of businesses, they just check the area right off. It's, it's not even looked at. And so as, if, if, as we're able to bring rail into the basin, it just puts us in a whole different position. Uh, yeah, it just adds that added value to right. our, our area. So being a greenhorn newbie, uh, not knowing much, what about the 
the logistics of having our own refinery here in the basin? Is that something that's even plausible, doable? Is it something that can happen, should happen? Are we working on that? So um, I have some information. Reed has some information. Oh, um, <clears throat> I'm actually under an NDA, a non-disclosure agreement, okay. so I'm not able to give a lot of details, but I will, I will you know, UNT Advantage is a group. Uh, that wants to uh, build a, a refinery here in the Uinta Basin. And, um, you know, they're continuing in the work that they're doing. Um, and I think they're in the same, uh, essentially kind of the same boat that the rail is in. Uh, they're moving forward, but, you know, there's some, some aspects as it relates to price and all those things that, that affects investment and timing and all those things. So, so it's something kind of behind the curtain is possible. Well, I, yeah. And uh, Reed, I, anything you want to say in it? Because you may not have an NDA, so. <laughs> I, I don't have an NDA and I know a lot of stuff, but uh, I, I want to be careful as well. I really like those guys. Um, I guess I'll say, and I, I know who the group is. I've been to their manufacturing facilities and, and met some of their uh I guess, high level management, I think, and maybe this isn't particularly helpful, but I, after, after getting to know them a little bit and seeing what the, how they operate and what they plan to do, uh, a refinery in the basin, and it's all, uh, it's been discussed, you know, on and off for years as well, ever since the Pennzoil refinery uh, mothballed, you know, back in the early nineties. Um, but bringing it back a different configuration, sort of a, a different set of goals and the way they're going to tackle this market. It's never been in the hands of a better group. Um, that's more qual that's, 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 they're extremely well qualified to capitalize on the idea and on the concept. Um, the, the pieces are all in place. Um, and I'm, I am really, uh, optimistic about the refinery coming in. Um, being uh, another a, a local buyer of barrels of black wax specifically, you know, 20,000 barrel, 40,000 barrel uh, second phase placard capacity. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot of barrels. Um, that's, uh, you know, about almost 50 percent of what we're producing or I guess what we were producing two months ago. Can't set, can't talk about today. I don't know. Um, but the, the, the economics are positive there. The economics are good. Um, and. I don't know. I guess that's all the more I can really say. I, I really think that it has legs. Um, uh, it's hard for me to put a number on a probability of it totally happening, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I, I'd be in like the 80% probably plus me actually may, I don't know where Mike would be. I don't know if Mike's allowed to like throw numbers like that out. Um, I don't know, Mike. <laughs> well, let, let me, let me just say this. I was on, I was on a phone call this morning with them and, uh, uh you know, I believe in the project, and I concur with what uh, with what Rita said. They are an outstanding, they're an outstanding group, and uh, if it can be done, they'll get it done. And uh, you know, I, I I believe in that project. I really do. So potentially, we have the railroad coming in, and potentially a refinery, which would significantly boost our economy here in the Uinta Basin. Yes. That's yes. That's yep. so encouraging. Well, and and you know, I think people really need as we talk about optimism. I think we ought to talk a minute about the optimism of that. Uh, 
You know, right now we are in a, in a very difficult spot, probably one of the most difficult spots that people remember, maybe a time or two but in their lives. But this is, you know, having COVID and everything right around them, if you look at the state, um, the state is saying, you know, we're going to have to make up between $200 million and $2 billion of shortfalls. And people are going to be taking pay cuts. A lot of people are losing jobs. Businesses, whether large or small, it's not just here in the Una Basin. It's, it's in the state of Utah and it's throughout the country. This is a difficult time. Um, but but let's, let's look past that just a little bit. You know, with these oil prices, uh, as Reed pointed out, I think it's believed by most people the next two or three months are going to be really ugly. Uh, production's kind of coming to a standstill. And then it begins to improve and improve and, and you know, there'll be a lot of people with opinions on how long that takes and all those kind of things. But, you know, unless COVID-19 lasts our lifetime, people are <laughs> going to go back to traveling. People are going to get back on the planes. Price of oil is going to go back up. Uh, as we have this train, as we, build, as we build this railroad, as Reed said, you know, that's going to increase production immensely. And if we can somehow market the gas that comes off those as well, there's another market for another opportunity. It comes with a lot of jobs. Uh, you know, that, that's, a, that's an opportunity for a lot more jobs. That's a lot more. If you look at all the money that comes from the oil and gas industry, when I was a county commissioner, we commissioned a study, or we had a study, I believe it was University of Utah through Pam Perlick, showed that 50% of the jobs and 60% of the economy in the Una Basin came from the extractive industry. Now, if we, if we increase, you know, those opportunities, there's just a whole lot more jobs. And then you have all the side jobs that come from, this, from that as well. So there's all the supporting jobs, all the, you know, that's not maybe directly, um, but it does a lot for the economy and all the money. And, and then the, the additional services that, that our uh, local officials and into our schools that it infuses money. In, in, and so... It's a real opportunity. I, I think it's the game changer. I really do. I, I think bringing that in there is the game changer. I think it's the item that really, really changes our community. I think that was, a, you know, one of the reasons we wanted to do this, this podcast is because I think a lot of people get frustrated uh, aside from the boom and bust industry. They're living in the oil and gas industry and they know that very well, but you have, you know, when it's booming, you have these corporate businesses that come in and you it's, you know, everyone's excited. Oh, it's new business in the basin. It's new business. It's more jobs. But the second it starts to bust, they pull out and they close their doors and it's frustrating. And I think you have a lot of, like you said, gloom right now. And so we wanted to kind of be like, Hey, yeah, right now is, is a little gloomy. It's a little scary, but what is, what's on the horizon? What is there really, you know, let's, let's cut through the fiction and the facts and let's, right. let's get, let's get down to the nitty gritty and see, is this true? And I, I'm very grateful to have you guys on the show today. You guys have really opened up a lot of, I think, positivity. So thank you guys. So, so Reed, you know, we're, should we go somewhere? We probably, uh, maybe we better wait on that one. <laughs> Come on. What? Uh, yeah, what? I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know. know if we, well, it's we're, probably early to talk about some things, yeah. you know. We're, 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 you know, uh, let's just, <laughs> let's just simply say uh, that we're working on things and, and actually, uh, Reed and the coalition will be working on some things together. At least we're going to explore some ideas that I think are also continue to enhance uh, enhance, uh, enhance opportunities here for the basin and for our region. And uh, they will be good for us if, if, if these develop out for us, the ideas that we have. 
what was that like yeah, a teaser? The next, um, the next five years are going to be, well, so we, we all just got to survive, you know, the next <laughs> three months, five months so that we can see the next five years bear out. Cause there's a lot of really cool things, a lot of really amazing things coming. I think that are in store for the basin. Once we make it through this, um, yes, we're working on some ideas, some concepts that I think have uh, some real promise that, uh, that no one's heard of yet. Eventually you will, I hope. Um, but I, I think that, uh, like Mike said, you know, 50, 60% of the economy is directly, uh, based on the extractive industry. The rest of it is ancillary business, ancillary jobs and incomes. Um, and we double or triple production. Our overall economy grows, expands. What we really need and what I hope to continue seeing, um, from the part of public, uh, of, of, uh, the counties and the cities um, is uh, a, a good use of, the, of say, CIB money, um, continued uh, good use of, of public funds to support a growing economy and especially supporting non-oil and gas uh, businesses um, and growing them. And so, so there's sort of a fine line where you need to continue to help oil and gas investment to continue to grow because that is what our economy is, is based on, but need to continue to also feed non-oil and gas businesses. Otherwise, we're left with uh, sort of Dutch disease where we, we, we never invest in anything else other than the one sort of one or two resources that we have here. Um, but no, I, I'm really optimistic, actually. I think we've got a lot of good, good people uh, at the helm in the different uh, cities and counties. Um, and I'm just, I'm really excited about the next three to five years, but I just, I'm trying to survive the next three months myself. So, <laughs> so, so um, Brandon, let me just say this too. Uh, we don't have to fully wait until the railroad is built or the refinery is built to begin to, to begin to reap the money that will come into this. For example, the railroad is an anticipated that it'll cost between $1.2 and $1.5 billion. That's a lot of money that gets infused into jobs and economy. With all those jobs and economy that comes into that, uh, that helps our restaurants, that helps our hotels, that puts money into the businesses. Uh, there's a lot of money there. Um, uh, I believe this was actually in a paper, so I think I can say this, but you know, the refinery itself, I believe, was over a billion dollars. Uh, it was anticipated to, to build that refinery. Again, as that happens, there's a lot of jobs. They, they anticipate a number of jobs to, to build these things. And so, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like we got to wait until they are built until we start to see the benefits of that. As these projects begin to move forward, that money begins to come into our communities, into our economies, and providing jobs and, and so that's a great thing as well. And then once they're built and complete, then, then your jobs may shift a little bit, but then that's when the economy really starts cranking out. And then all the supporting jobs of the additional drilling, all the additional hands, all the additional everything that comes from that as well. And then the tax base that comes into the communities. Uh, everybody would like to see lower taxes. Uh, when I was a commissioner, uh, about 60% of Uinta County's tax base is what you call centrally assessed, but they were taxes paid by essentially the oil and gas production and the companies. And so when that's strong, uh, more of the taxes are being paid are being paid by industry and not by private landowners and businesses. And the more that we can support and help that, uh, that's, again, good for everybody. 
I'm not gonna lie. I feel like the odd man out here between you guys smirking. You guys, you guys know a lot that you're not, you can't say or not saying, but that's okay. In due time, you know, we're just kind of twinkling here, right? <laughs> I like the yeah. smirk. It's encouraging, actually. I just, it's kind of funny because I'm like, man, if I only knew what they could say or couldn't say, it's ah. But in time, we will know. It's just encouraging. Um, let's. Can we talk real quick about like oil shale? You know, like will oil shale will oil sands tar sands ever be kind of what it's touted to be is it is there developments there that kind of okay so make it more profitable so so you know reed and i we may come from a different point of view here so um um let me give my perspective then he can he can correct me and okay. get it right um <laughs> with with oil sands my own personal belief you know the i think the very best use of that is putting that on our <clears throat> roads here locally because, um, you know, it's a really good product to put on the roads. It naturally heals itself. Those roads will last a long time if they have proper foundation base put underneath them. It's a really good product for it. I'm not saying it's not a, a, a product, but that can be, you know, that can be, um, can be mined and harvested. But the issue is there's so much oil out there. I think it's generally considered that it takes a little bit more money to you know, to, to extract that from oil sands than it does, uh, you know, this than conventional oil. But if, if the prices are sufficient, it makes a lot of sense. Oil shell, there is so, there, there's just so much oil in oil shell in, in our area. Uh, there's what, what, I'm trying to remember the number, um, I think it was 2.32 trillion, no, 3.2 trillion barrels of oil shell. In, in the Green River Formation, now that's like total amount. But those, I mean, that is just so astronomical, the amount of oil shale that is underneath us. Um, however, uh, under, current, under current aspects, look how inexpensive oil itself is right now. And it just costs more money to get that out of the oil shale than it does conventional. And so when you ask, will it ever be? Um, I could say it being ever. But then again, what's going to happen in the country? Are we going to, you know, I think there will be some transitioning more and more to, to green energies and those kind of things that will naturally happen. But I don't think we're ever going to wean ourselves off of oil either. We always are going to need plastics and all the different kind of things we have. Um, you know, I, I don't think we're going to have, you know, uh, solar-powered airplanes or those kind of things. So, you know, we'll see. Reed. <laughs> You know, I actually agree with Mike. It, it, um, it really comes down to cost of production, and uh, you know the current technologies for oil shale and um, and oil sands are are still pretty expensive. And uh, we can't. We if it's hard for us to make conventional oil at twenty three dollars, it's going to be pretty rough. You know, pretty difficult to make a barrel from uh, oil sands. You know, at forty five fifty. Um, sixty dollars, so that you know they're sort of outside of it right now. Um, I really, I really hope that we we can get to a point, uh, a long term stable price that will allow for our oil shale development. Um, I really like the uh, the NFIT process, the uh, ex situ retort um, system that that uh, NFIT American Oil um, has. Um, our buddy Ryan Clerico um, over at NFIT. Uh, so there's. I think that there is the resources there. It's an amazing resource. Um, I don't know anything about their cost of production, 
Um, I think uh, it's super capital intensive because it's one large, again, one large um, facility where they, they actually have to mine it, they surface mine it, and then they bring it to the facility, um, the shale, and they retort and they extract the hydrocarbons from it and then they reclaim. Um, so I, I think it could, I, I don't know enough about the details and the economics to know sort of when that will be a really feasible opportunity, but it's there. It's still there. It's not going anywhere. Um, uh, so hopefully the economics get to the point where maybe we can extract that and that'd be of great, great benefit to the Uinta Basin. Um, but uh, the future of hydrocarbons, the future of, of oil and stuff, that's like a whole nother podcast episode. And <laughs> we need a couple, couple, couple more hours to discuss that stuff. But, uh, we'll but, plan on it. Yeah. But, you know, technology, I think, probably uh, answers that question. Uh, technology's continued to, you know, it's been improved as they continue to go along, and they're continually driving those costs down, and so we'll just have to see what happens on it. But there is a lot of oil, and it's a really good oil that they get out of that once they, once they harvest the oil out of it. So, uh, you know, I think it's exciting. I think it's a very exciting opportunity. So, um, before, you know, I'm so glad we've, we've kind of dove into this topic and we, we've kind of shed some light on some very positive, bright future things. Before we go, before we wrap this up, where, if people wanted to stay in the know, Reed, you said you had a Facebook page. Um, if people wanted this kind of information or to see kind of what you're posting and what you're into, where would they go for that? Um, just, uh, just search on Facebook, Rocky Mountain Energy Economist. No, give them your give them your cell number, Reed. <laughs> Actually, I think my cell number is on there. To be honest, and uh, you know, whatever, just don't get weird, and uh, you know, ask good questions. I hope. Actually, there's really there's no stupid question. It's it's funny, you know, Brandon. You say there's that you're that you you don't know a lot of this stuff because you're not from here originally, you know. But a lot of people who are from the Uinta Basin. Um, and grew up in it forever. They, uh, they don't know the sort of the details of how crude oil prices work and stuff. And, um, that's something that I found that, uh, we sort of take some of this stuff for granted that the oil and the gas, it just gets sold and there's some nebulous price out there. Um, and so, you know, don't feel, uh, too odd, you know, like the odd man out there. Um, the majority of people don't understand the details of how these markets work and where we fall in, you know, on, in a, a global setting. Uh, where our little Uinta Basin is is a player in a, a and and part of a really complex global machine. So, um, you know, so there's really there's no there's no bad questions. There's really any question, anything that someone earnestly wants to know um, how something works. That's a good question, um, even if it seems simple or rudimentary. So anyone can hit me up on uh, Rocky Mountain Energy Economist. Ask a question. Um, ask me a question in the DMs or uh, comment on some of the posts. Um, if anyone wants, wants to see me post about anything in specific, you know, just, just let me know. And I really enjoy interacting with people, um, through the Facebook page, um, and trying my best to answer questions. I don't have all the answers, but I can find a lot of them, I think. So. It's so awesome. Thank you for coming yeah. on. And then Mike, you know, your offices, where could people go and how do we get a hold of you and your offices? So, um, <laughs> Michael, I can give everyone your cell phone number. <laughs> Paybacks. Uh, you know, if, 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 if people go to their, their favorite browser and just type in SCIC, Seven County Infrastructure Coalition, uh, the abbreviation should get them in, but if not, type in Seven County Infrastructure Coalition. We have a, we have a you know, really good web page and all about the rail and other projects and other things that we're working on. So good way to find us. 
gentlemen and thing. Come to a come to a meeting if you can. Yeah. Um, they're not uh, like the funnest. <laughs> I'm gonna say they're not like super exciting, but uh, sometimes they're they. I, I enjoy some of the conversation and some of the things that are discussed for sure. But they are open to the public. Um, you just uh, sometimes you just got to make the drive down to price. Um, we've been having them, I guess they've been having them on zoom lately though. So that's uh, actually really nice because then I don't have to drive to price either. So are the links found on the website? Yeah. And, and there's the meeting schedule. They're generally on the third Friday of each month at 10 o'clock. And so, um, yeah, we encourage people to come and join and participate and uh, give us feedback. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been, this has been very informative, very fun. Actually, you guys are awesome guests and uh, just thank you. If there's any last words you guys want to say. Hey, I want to put a plug in for Neola. It's right next to Tridell (laughs) and Neola has a great rodeo, uh, 4th of July. And, uh, and, uh, so, well, I'll put in a plug for Tridell as well. There we go. (laughs) Thank you for inviting us. Well, uh, no, we, we want to see everybody at the 4th of July rodeo in Neola, you know, and, uh, oh boy, it's just, you know, it's one basin. <laughs> yeah, you know? it is. One basin. So we're a family. Different towns, but it's one basin. So. Amen. Hey, we, we have a parade in Tridell usually on the 4th or 24th and, you know, the, the primary children and everybody <laughs> will uh, go up and down the street and it's a lot of fun, you know, so. <laughs> Sounds like a hoot. <laughs> You guys are awesome. Well, thank you for listening to the Channel V6 podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platforms. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcast at channelv6.com. Thanks. Thank you.